At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. Just a really good hockey game. It was a well-played game on both sides. You know, we had we had a lot of looks. We had a fair amount of chances. Um, we would normally, I think, convert on some of those, um, but they they played extremely well. Also, it was a real competitive hockey game. I just thought it was a real good game on both sides. Yeah, it was a good close game, Sully. You're right about that. Trouble is, when you find yourself in a good close game like that with the Penguins against the Avalanche on the road in Denver on Saturday afternoon, when you have the opportunities that you have, as many as you created, you got to bury more than two. And when you do bury two, you can't give the lead back within 20 seconds or 30 seconds both times as the Penguins did. I know that's highbrow hockey analysis, but I think it's something to hold close to your vest the next time you see the Avalanche. Oh, by the way, you'll have a chance to do that on Tuesday night at PPG Paints Arena. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast. Tim Benz here. Glad that you're with us on a Monday, a Madden Monday, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. Madden Monday coming up in just a few moments. Before we do anything else, let's look at some of the boosted bets that Bet Rivers has out there tonight of chief interest with the NCAA championship game coming up, North Carolina and Kansas both to score over 75 and a half points. It was at plus 215, now at plus 230. I like that bet. NHL boosted bets for tonight. The Bruins, Lightning, and Blues all to score over three and a half total goals. That includes the overtime and the shootout. It was at plus 425, now plus 475. 
The Bruins have the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Blues host the Arizona Coyotes. And the Lightning welcome Toronto. I like those numbers as well. I might get down on both of those boosted bets. If you're looking ahead for golf, log into BetRivers.com. Place a $25 single pre-tournament wager on any golfer to win the Masters and get $1 towards a free bet for each birdie and $2 towards a free bet for each eagle or better that's made. Check out all of those boosted bets at BetRivers.com. We start with a little hockey conversation after the Pens lose to the Colorado Avalanche. Final score 3-2 to two in Denver. They play again at PPG Paints Arena. And right now, both teams at minus money. And the Penguins right now are looking at a line of minus 118. The Avalanche at minus 103. Tonight, if you're looking to play on a follow-up to some of those suggestions earlier on the boosted bets with all those teams potentially going over 3.5, you might like the over in Blue Jackets and Bruins. I do 6.5. I like it at 6.5 for Leafs and Lightning. Uh, Maybe not so much for Arizona and St. Louis. I might go under there at minus 118. The Blues minus 435. On the win line there, on the puck line, it's minus 175. Blue Jackets and Bruins, Boston at minus 230. The Leafs and Lightning, that one's a toss-up. I leave that one alone. Calgary at minus 167 to win in Los Angeles. That's kind of an interesting number there. You might want to get yourself the Kings at plus 1.5 on the puck line. Just a hunch on that one, but maybe the easiest play if you want to go for something Quick and dirty Blues to win against the Coyotes. Parlay that with the Bruins on the road at the Blue Jackets. And you could get yourself a nice little two-teamer there if you want to mix in some hockey as we look ahead to college basketball, which we will dive into momentarily. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about that Colorado game or the one coming up. I know there's a narrative out there surrounding the Penguins that they just aren't beating enough good teams. They're slightly under 500 against teams that are in the playoff mix and that they're fattening up their record based on bloating the point total by getting loser points and by feasting off of teams that are lesser lights in the Eastern Conference after that very hard and fast cut line at the 18 mark. And there's some truth to that. We'll talk about that with Mark Madden coming up. But it's not like they're getting blown out. It's not like the games that they're losing recently to Colorado and the Rangers. You know, they're one-goal games. The frustration that I have is for an allegedly offensively talented team, the shots that they are creating, for instance, against the Wild and against the Colorado Avalanche, they're not converting into enough goals. And then on top of that, against a team like the Rangers, you should be able to generate more than 24 shots. Like, for instance, there's an article in the New York Post today about Shesterkin struggling all of a sudden. And why then, if he's struggling in the last five or six games, can't the Penguins take advantage of that more than anybody else as opposed to being the one team that really didn't make him press? They lost to the Flyers and had to scramble back to even get a point. I think he allowed like a 55-foot goal, and Philadelphia was up 3 to nothing at one point. They're up 3-1 to against the Rangers at MSG, and New York had to storm back and score two goals with less than five minutes left to go. So those are just some concerns to look out with the Penguins. Uh, Another one that pops off the page at me is, you know, I think the Colorado game was indicative of how officials might be treating the playoffs. When you've got two good, skilled teams, they tend to turn a blind eye to a lot of stuff and just let the players 
play it out on the ice. And to a degree, that's not really what's happening. If you allow that much to go, then they're not really playing it out. And by you putting the whistle in your pocket, you are not letting the guys take care of things themselves. They're going outside the rules that you are paid to enforce. But I'm getting a little hyperbolic here because I don't think the game was all that poorly officiated. It wasn't all that badly under-officiated. But anytime you go through a full game with that much speed on the ice, you're going to see more than just one penalty. And the Penguins were awarded just one penalty. And during that power play, they didn't even get a shot on goal. Like That can't happen. If you have a team that's relied as much on the power play as the Pens have since the turn of the calendar, then when you get only one power play, you have to make sure every possible opportunity goes towards the net. You can't overpass. You can't be sloppy on the entries. You can't be sloppy on the puck handling. You can't be lazy in puck support. You've got to outnumber the opposing penalty kill. The best way to do that is to outnumber them with shots, to keep the box broken down, to keep them guessing, to keep them moving. And then the easier shot lanes will be created as opposed to trying to get them to move. And with the shot blocking, willingness, capability, and equipment that exists right now, of course, all those uh, passing attempts to open up shot lanes get closed so much more quickly than if the player is chasing the puck and trying to figure out if he's got to go down to block it in in motion as opposed to the puck being moved around the perimeter of the ice. And I I just don't think the Penguins did a very good job in that power play, and it really cost them in the end, but we will preview that game tomorrow more with Brian Metzer and with Mike Pursuta. Just one more edition of the Pittsburgh City Cast this week before I go to Boston for the Frozen Four, so keep that in mind. Like I said, we'll talk plenty of pens with Mark Madden coming up later on. But let's get to the NCAA Championship game tonight. North Carolina and Kansas. I'm going with Kansas to win, but I'm not going to get bitten the way that I was on Saturday by that point spread involving North Carolina. See, here's where I screwed up on Saturday. By the way, I finally had a hockey parlay. I told you I was getting really hot with hockey parlays and that lightning loss to the Canadians. Where did that come from? That screwed me on a good three-teamer that I had going. But at any rate, back to college basketball. I won comfortably uh, taking the point spread on Kansas against Villanova. That felt good from Jump Street and remained that way. And then I decided to move the line on the Duke-North Carolina game because I thought Duke was going to win, but I had a pretty good sense that the Tar Heels were going to keep it close and it was going to be a one- or two-possession game. But a lot of times when I feel like it's going to be right on that cusp of a three-point contest and you know there's an extra free throw or an extra turnover or an extra offensive rebound or something like that, that three-and-a-half-point spread becomes five and you lose. So I I was kind of trying to hem and haw between the two different options. I I decided to move the line down to minus two-and-a-half Duke, and clearly I got burned. But my my more gut instinct was that Carolina was going to keep it close than Duke was going to win, so I probably should have just gone with that. And I'm going to go with that tonight. Um, I'm probably just going to have Carolina covering, maybe move it up to five and have Carolina cover Uh, as opposed to taking Kansas to win on the money line or take Kansas to win at minus four. Maybe I'll try to middle it. Maybe I'll just put separate different unit bets uh, a little bit less on Kansas to win it. But I'm not going to get burned again. I'm going to go with North Carolina, the point spread. I I don't know that they are able to turn right around and emotionally get up again from what they did against Duke. That's why I think in the end Kansas is going to pull away. But as the Tar Heels come into Monday night, for the championship game, they are in one of the most unique sports positions in recent memory, in my opinion. A blue blood 
high-profile, historically elite college basketball team, yet it's somehow in the underdog, playing with nothing to lose kind of role at the same time. That is pretty rare. Now, the Tar Heels did pull off an upset by ending the season of Duke in the semifinals on Saturday. It was an upset, and it did end the career of Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski, too, in the process. And their underdogs Monday, as we talked about against the Jayhawks, favored to win by four points. And rare are the times when Goliath gets to play the role of David. Carolina did it once before in 2000 when they made the Final Four as an eight seed. Syracuse was a number 10 a few years ago, but those storylines were tough sells then as they are now. No one really buys into big-time Power 5, ACC, Big East, SEC, Big 12 program that just happens to get in because they've had an average season and they're kind of a low seed. Like, no one really embraces that team as a Cinderella. Not like Butler when Butler was Butler, no one who knew they were, or the Gonzaga before anybody knew who Gonzaga was going to be, or George Mason that one year. Like, no one's wrapping their arms around stories. Like, Illinois-Chicago, for instance, that's another one. People will embrace those kind of schools. They're not going to embrace a Power 5 that comes out as an 8, 9, or a 10 and call them a Cinderella. It's hard to portray... Carolina is putting on Cinderella's glass slipper when a percentage of the roster will be wearing Jordans in the NBA soon enough. The Heels are a talented team that just took a little longer than expected to get its act together in 2022. Their devil-may-care attitude for tonight's game against the Jayhawks is less about how they match up against a moderately favored foe in Kansas and more about knowing that they're a legacy team that's set for life even if they were to lose 100 to nothing. They are already a Tar Heel team of legend, and they don't need to cut down the nets in New Orleans to prove it. The quote from Armando Baycott on Saturday was, it was good to win, but we need to bring a championship home and hang a banner. Beating Duke doesn't give us a banner. Well, no, it doesn't. Baycott and company didn't win the ACC regular season or the tournament, and if Kansas wins, they'll go home empty-handed from the NCAA tournament as well, but will it matter? I bet not to the vast majority of Tar Heel fans. Win or lose versus the Jayhawks, this team will return to Chapel Hill as conquering heroes. This will forever be the team that ruined Coach K's goodbye party at Cameron Indoor Stadium. It's the team that sent Krzyzewski into retirement without a shot for what some thought would be a sixth national championship. For forever and a day, Krzyzewski's last game will be a loss to Carolina on the sport's biggest stage And with the nature of that rivalry, how could anything ever be better than that? Sure, winning a title is always the be-all, end-all. Unless you have six of them, as the Tar Heels do. And your school will always be in a position to win a seventh, maybe an eighth, and a ninth. Who gets to pull the plug on their most hated rival's party twice within a month and on a stage that grand and with circumstances like Krzyzewski's retirement that unique. I mean, what's the Pittsburgh analogy? Is there one? The Steelers going to Foxborough in the AFC Championship game and beating Bill Belichick in his last game on the sidelines for the Patriots? The Steelers eliminating the top-seeded Flyers in the playoffs the year before the franchise moves to, I don't know, Hamilton, Quebec City, Hartford? The Pirates beating a Braves team in Atlanta managed by Sid Bream in 2032 in the National League Championship Series as Francisco Cabrera Jr. strikes out to end Game 7? Pitt upsetting an undefeated Penn State or West Virginia team in a college playoff semifinal? I mean, in any of those cases, would you care all that much if those Pittsburgh teams 
didn't win their respective titles in the next round. I mean, obviously we'd prefer it, but it'd just be gravy, right? Especially in the cases of the Steelers and Penguins who have 11 championships between them. North Carolina is in that same position. If they win Monday night, wonderful. All the better for Coach Huber Davis and company. If they don't, then they'll still get a red carpet greeting at the airport, as they should. Of course, that's not how Carolina players are approaching things. Take, for example, again, Baycott, who's pushing through an ankle injury, who said on the record, my right leg would have to be cut off for me not to play. My status is right now that I'm playing. There's no way I'm not playing the national championship game. And of course he should feel that way. That's the right thing to say. To be honest, like I said, I'm picking Kansas. I have doubts that Carolina can spin around from what happened Saturday, gutting out that win versus Duke, and then mustering up enough energy to beat a very sound Jayhawks club. That's a tall order. Even if I'm right, and a lot of college hoops experts and oddsmakers are right with me, 50 years from now, this will always be known as the Final Four when Carolina beat Duke and ended Coach K's career. In this unique rivalry, under these unexpected circumstances, if Baycott and company fail to claim that banner, I doubt they'll be looked at as anything less than mystical in the eyes of most of their fans. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back, and we'll hear from Mark Madden on this week's Madden Monday here on the Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Bet Rivers Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, Bet Rivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh, must be 21 gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. It is a Madden Monday podcast with Mark Madden from 105.9 The X. You can listen to him Monday through Friday on The X. Read him at Trib Live as well. Brought to us by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to betrivers.com. Certainly a lot of people at the Rivers Casino over the weekend for the Final Four. Very interesting result between Duke and North Carolina. We'll get into that a little bit later on. But Mark, let's start first and foremost with hockey. The Penguins and the Avs. Penguins and the Wild since we last talked. Actually, I think uh, Pens and Rangers since we last talked as well. But let's stay more current and get to the more recent games. What were your biggest takeaways from how they played against those two really good teams in the Central in the Wild and the Avs? Well, I want to look in particular at the game at Denver on Saturday. I thought the Penguins played really, really well. Uh, But you can't make the mistakes they do and expect to win games against good teams, let alone playoff games against good teams. Uh, Twice they tied the game and then conceded a goal inside of 30 seconds after. It was on the next shift, and Colorado came right back and scored. So you, you can't have that happen. Evgeny Malkin made two mistakes that contributed to goals. One was a bad pinch when he was covering on defense, and the other was a, a turnover that led to a goal. And, and so uh, I read Josh Owey on Twitter said that, you know, the Penguins are on pace for 108 points and people are still being real critical. Well, yeah, because I know what will and won't win in the playoffs in egregious mistakes like they're making uh, in the game at Denver and, for that matter, the game at Minnesota this past Thursday – that's exactly how you do not win in the postseason. Pointedly, how you do not win in the postseason. So while there's you know stuff to, to be you know uh, encouraged about, like the sit line's incredible. Um, 
I, I don't know who died and made Mike Matheson Bobby Orr because Bobby Orr's still alive. Matheson's playing just terrific. I don't think Joy's been perfect, but he's been very good. Um, you, you know, there's uh, any number of reasons to be optimistic, but we were optimistic last year and the year before that and the year before that as well, but they were one and done in the playoffs in each of those years. One thing, Mark, that it does look like they made a concerted effort to do after the Ranger game was at least put more shots on net. Um, how do you determine or differentiate between shot volume and shot quality, and do they have shot quality against the Wild and the Avs? Well, I thought they had pretty decent shot quality uh, in both games. So that's not really a concern for me. What, what is a concern for me is who's getting some of the good shots, like, Evan Rodriguez had a fistful of chances against Colorado and didn't score. That's now, what is it, I think, two goals in his last 36 games, maybe 37, maybe 38. It might be 40 real soon, and he keeps playing. Mm-hmm. And by the way, one of those goals was into an empty net. Uh, the fourth line, the new fourth line of of Boyle, uh, Bluger, and Anthony Angelo, who somehow got called up ahead of Drew O'Connor, they had zero shots at Colorado. But, Tim, I'm not shocked because had you put me to a prediction before the game, I would have said I bet that line gets zero shots. <laughs> so, um, but, but getting back to your original question, I, you know, I think they're getting chances. I think they're getting good shots, but uh, you got to score. Uh, then again, they are, and this is incredible, they're like sixth in the league, six best goals against. That's unbelievable. That's like a sighting of the Virgin Mary on a church wall. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And Jari, I think, has had a lot to do with that being as good as he's been throughout the regular season. You mentioned O'Connor, and that's a head-scratcher to me. Do you have any insight onto what he did to play himself out of favor? Because I thought he was a darling coming out of camp. Yes, he's young. I mean, I, I, Tim, I don't know, because to be fair, it's not like I analyzed Wilkes-Barre Scranton game tape, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know how he's doing down there, but I, I just can't believe that he was the best player in camp. He played 13 NHL games, scored three goals, seemed to add a lot of energy and even a modicum of physicality. He just can't get a game now. Until Jason Zucker comes back, what do they do with the other winger spot with Malkin? I don't know, because one thing I've concluded is that they have exactly six top six forwards, exactly six and no more, and Zucker's one of them. And he's at the bottom of the top six or maybe the top of the bottom six, whatever you prefer to describe him as. But uh, I don't know what they do. I just don't. Is there any positive, you think, longer-term positive than negative of elevating Carter to a wing or even Bluger, as some have suggested? Not Bluger. Uh, Bluger's, uh, I don't think, played wing much at all in his career. And he's a great pure center. If you do that with Carter, you increase his minutes, and the more he plays, the worse he plays. The other thing is, I think he gets more out of Kapanen than any other option that they would have, even Malkin for that matter, because he just seems to coax Kapanen along a little bit better. At some point, Gino has to elevate people. Or, barring that at age 35, just make the best of what he has and just you know put somebody there and not worry about it. But uh, Dan, actually, Tim, I got it wrong. Dan Heinen was on the fourth line. The fourth line is so nondescript, I forget who was on it. But, <laughs> but, but at any rate. Well, no, it, I, it, you know, I get it, though, Mark, because that does speak to your point about the lack of depth when it comes to top six to even top nine 
forwards. You know, once you get down to that that fourth line, it's it's a whole lot of nothing. Aside from Bluger, who's a good player, but how much can he do just by himself? Well, not only that, he's not the kind of player to ever really do much of anything by himself. Exactly. You know, he yeah. is he is what he is. He's a bottom six guy, a real good one. But you know, if he ever gets fifteen goals in the season, that would be a lot. Oh no, no, it was Tim Bluger moved up. It was Hein and Boyle and Angelo. And, and I'm surprised that line didn't turn around and start taking shots on Jard. <laughs> Although Boyle's had his moments where he chips in with a goal here and there, but uh, I think that you might get the same sort of thing out of Boyle that you're talking about with Carter, especially come playoff time, especially against a fast team like the Rangers, where uh, a little bit more might be too much minute-wise. Well, some of that game, they were uh, they were using Bluger in the third line and Carter on Malkin's wing. So there you go. Back to the Rangers game, Mark. Are we starting to see some matchups that tilt towards the Rangers? Like, for instance, their ability to bust up the breakout of the Pens. That seemed to be a problem last time out, and that, I think, tends to lead to part of their issues when it comes to shot volume against Shesterkin. But the funny part is, Tim, every other team in the league gets a ton of shot against the Rangers. Yeah, it's true. I think, what are they, like sixth or seventh when it comes to shots against or something like that? Yeah, they give up a lot of shots, but uh, but but the problem is that uh, the the Penguins can't get the puck out of their zone, like you said, because the Rangers' forecheck is, is so dynamic. Um, Mike Rupp was on my program uh, last week, and he made the suggestion that they should just start, you know, early in the game, especially when the Rangers get the puck behind their D, the D should get there and just, you know, either rim the puck out or bang the puck you know, high off the glass, stuff like that. You know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, to just get the Rangers to, to chase it in and turn around and chase it out and try to get them off their rhythm and then maybe create some space uh, by making their forecheck hesitate. Now, if that sounds like uh, like the siren song of the truly desperate, it's kind of like people saying, and I'm seeing this quite a bit too, uh, Tim, is that, well, all, all that matters in the playoffs is which team gets hot. Well, actually, I think it's which team makes the fewest mistakes, and the Penguins make too many of those, even if they do play really good in many facets of the game. Mark, I want to go back to that point that you made referencing Josh Yoey bringing up the point total, um, you know, projected point total and all that. I, I tend to couch that for just about everybody who's in the top eight of the East because the point totals, I think, will be inflated for all of the top eight because the top eight are so much better than the rest of the league. I think that's correct. And I think you see those bottom feeders being fed upon by the playoff teams, and then you get a lot of bloated totals, and it just goes to the conversation that we've been having all year where you can't really look at the points uh, to differentiate who's all that good in the top eight amongst the East. I, I still think it's going to be a crapshoot once we get into the postseason in both divisions. Well, I don't know about a crapshoot. I mean, whoever deserves to win wins. But, you know, yeah, I know what you mean. There's no result among the top eight that would really shock me. You know, in the first yeah. round, unless unless Washington beat Carolina or, you know, uh, if they switched over and beat Florida, that would shock me. But they're the only team I consider to be like a real underdog. Last hockey thing, Mark, how do you think a best of seven between Minnesota and Colorado would go? Is it tough to sort of glean that until you get a look at Flurry and how he plays behind the wild defense or, or what? I think Colorado's just better. I think they're better than everybody. To go back to that conversation, while we might see some bloated point totals, I don't think that's the case for Colorado. They just got to put it together and get out of the West and not stumble. Well, look, look who they were missing when they beat the Penguins, too. Yeah, true. And McKinnon was coming back from injury, too, on top of that. 
Yeah, of course, the Penguins are missing Zucker. Then again, they're always missing Zucker. He has these cataclysmic injuries in a lot of ways that just aren't his fault, but they just keep happening. Yeah, and they're not anybody else's fault either. That's one of my uh, fond sayings when the same guys get hurt all the time. It's it's one thing to... You can't blame the guy who gets hurt, but it ain't nobody else's fault either. And after a while, it's more his fault than anybody else's fault. Mark, let's get to football. Steelers free agency of the needs that they have remaining, and there still are many. What is the most glaring to you, and what do you think will be the least likely to be properly addressed by the time they actually kick off? Well, I think they just need to re-sign Terrell Edmonds. Instead of indulging all this fanboy fantasy about Honey Badger because he has a cool nickname, Terrell Edmonds has been a four-year starter. He's very comfortable alongside Minka. Minka very comfortable alongside him. He's been out there in free agency for a while. Clearly, he's not going to get a big money offer. Why would the Steelers bring him back at the right price? Why wouldn't they bring back Hayden at the right price? Uh, I saw nothing wrong with their uh, with their defensive backfield last year. I just think that they they uh, they could use some continuity there, and I think Edmonds would add that. One thing we're seeing, Mark, for sure, is the stretching of the salary cap structure insofar as of the top 100 NFL free agents as listed by NFL.com. I'm looking at them right now. It's a slew of 28, 29-year-old recent pro bowlers whose contracts have expired, and you're seeing so many top-end guys, and then the roster's filled out with first contract guys that there's no room for the Stephon Gilmore's, the Honey Badgers, uh, the Jadavian Clownies, uh, Calais Campbell, guys like that, Akeem Hicks. Like these Trey Flowers are usable players. J.C. Treader and the way the cap has been structured now and manipulated, kind of like what the Rams keep doing, the middle class of free agency. It's part of the reason why Juju keeps having to sign these one-year prove-it deals because there's just no room for these guys. Yeah, and that's tough crap for them. I I mean... You know, people feel sympathy because these guys are veterans. They've had their chance. And if they were truly great players, they'd they'd have deals by now. That's why I just don't see the point of even talking about the Honey Badger for the Steelers. If he was any good, if he was a nailed-on guy, if you knew he could come to Pittsburgh and really, really help, if he was the player he used to be, then, you know, he would have been signed somewhere by now already. So I just bring back Terrell Edmonds. I think it's simple, and, and I feel no sympathy for the guys you're talking about. A lot of the guys you just mentioned, like Connie, for example, how many opportunities that guy had that he just blew, that he just didn't make the most of, rather? Sure, and there's still a portion of the NFL media that covers the league and, you know, team-friendly out, excuse me, player-friendly narratives that are out there saying, oh, well, this is, you know, they're victims of the cap. Well, no, not really, because the same crap happens in baseball, and there's no crap, there's no salary cap in baseball. You know, like you see this all the time when mid-range guys, once they get through their arbitration years, hit free agency, they sit out there to the very end of free agency. Yeah, uh, you know, and again, no sympathy for them either. I'm just, you know, not everybody has a right to work in pro sports forever. You know, I mean, I'm not sure what you're looking for me to say. I mean, I just don't feel bad about it at all. I don't either. I guess part of the reason I'm dwelling on it, Mark, is because there are holes that could be fixed by these guys that the Steelers have, but... I don't see them going to any of them, whether it's Honey Badger there or one of the available wide receivers or Gilmore to help at corner. They feel like they've addressed themselves by getting, Uh I think, some secondary guys, second-tier guys early in free agency. Normally, they just wait to get those guys. 
They just got him on the first day this time around. Oh, I think Levi Wallace is a good example of that, Perfect. don't you? I do, and I think that um, the the uh, backup lineman that they got from the Vikings is another ex- Cole. I think that's a good example of that. Mitch Trubisky is like that, honestly, Mark. I mean, that's that's a guy that later on in free agency basically became Mar- Marcus Mariota for another team. The Steelers just did it day one. That's all. By the way, I, I am uh, going to talk on my show this week. You know the one factor that could make the Steelers a playoff team? is if Trubisky realizes his potential as a number two pick overall all these years later. And while that might seem dumb, I wouldn't totally 100% rule it out either. At one time, somebody thought enough of him to pick him number two overall, and he got Chicago to the playoffs two years out of four. I don't think he's, you know, obviously lived up to what was expected when he was drafted, but I, I think he's got a bit of a bum rap, to, you know, in terms of how bad he is. I hear he's that. not that bad. You know, I hear that, but I also think, Mark, I go back to how I felt about Trubisky when he was drafted when he was, and I felt like he was over-slotted then. So I can't I can't compute that the same way because I don't know if he has the potential to have ever been the number two overall pick. Yeah, but where would you have picked him that year? I thought he was a late first rounder, early second rounder. But then again, it's a quarterback, so that changes the whole calculus because quarterbacks oh. change everything. Okay, let's say he should have been the first pick in the second round, all right? Okay. If he lives up to that potential, I'll be really happy with that. <laughs> yeah, I think Steeler fans will too. I think another dynamic that comes into play for them as far as them making the playoffs, Mark, is A, uh, the Browns and how long Watson is out, w- what happens there, and then B, I think you're going to see some cannibalizing, especially in the AFC West, teams taking big bites out of each other within divisional play to suppress some records so that the Steelers can hang around to be like the seventh seed again, potentially. Let me tell you, it wouldn't show. I don't think the Steelers are going to get the seventh seed. I think they'll be in it till like week 15, 16, don't you? Yeah, because they just tend to be that way, and I, they might have plugged enough holes to, to still stick around and float there. You know what, Mark? I think there are two things the Steelers that are still vastly under discussed, and maybe they're getting too much credit for. Well, they'll figure out a way to work it out. They haven't been as reliable lately at drafting wide receivers, and that is a position of need right now. There are three vacancies, essentially. That's one. And two, boy, were they lucky that Najee Harris got the amount of touches that he did without some sort of significant injury, and they got nobody behind him. Give it time, Tim. Maybe he'll get a significant injury this year. <laughs> well, I, I think there's something to that, and there's still no backup for him. Yeah, they got to get a better backup running back. No question on that. Uh, one thing I want to point out, we were just talking about, you know, Trubisky. A lot of the evaluation of players, and, and maybe this is unfair, is based on expectations. If Trubisky should have been a second-round pick and the Bears blew it, well, maybe it's unfair to keep evaluating him as the second pick overall. It's like I always said about Terrell Edmonds. Terrell Edmonds has started four seasons, and he ain't been great, but he don't suck. It's fair to say he's average, correct? He's average, yeah. Well, if you had drafted him in the third round, he'd be overjoyed. Not only that, Mark, if they drafted him in the third round, that's where he should have been drafted, and there would be no such analysis because he would have been bang on, spot on exactly what he should have. Like Chris Hope, when Chris Hope was here, exact same scenario. Well, that's the point. Maybe maybe the the mistake was made by the Steelers picking him in the first round. Oh, I think it was. Yes, absolutely. And maybe they should just be happy with what he is and bring him back because of that at a lower price. Mark, let's get to, well, something I know you haven't wanted to talk about too much during the course of March, and that is March Madness, but I heard your show quite a bit this week, and you seem to have a level of intrigue, as everybody did, about Duke and North Carolina. Did you think it lived up to the billing? 
I, I watched the last three minutes of it, Tim. Those last three minutes were very exciting. <laughs> I was at Donnie Iris before that. Oh, how was that? Uh, better than basketball. What would you think of the Roxian? Uh, the seats are cramped. It's not made for fat people, but it's a nice venue. Yeah, I was standing down below when I saw Dirty Honey, and the sound was good, and it's a cool little venue, but like, I did not get a look upstairs at all to, to notice the seats. Well, Tim, uh, I, yeah, I was in a balcony, but, um, but Tim, I, they were wanding everybody on the way into Donnie Iris. <laughs> what were they expecting to find? Colostomy bags and artificial hips? I mean, come on. Do you think, because my big thing coming out of UNC and Duke is, did UNC just shoot its wad so much by beating Duke twice that Kansas, even though they might not be the better team, who knows, maybe they are, but like, can UNC get it going again after doing that in the Final Four to Duke? Well, if they're ever going to, you know, if, if, they would, if they would fade, you wouldn't blame them, right? No, I wouldn't, and I don't think their fan base would either, for that matter. Oh, no, no. They won their NCAA championship uh, on Saturday. And but might I add, Tim, I think not only did North Carolina thoroughly ruin Shisevsky's final season by beating them in the final home game at Cameron and then eliminating them in the NCAAs, I think you can make the argument they ruined Shisevsky's career because that's the thing that people will most talk about with Shisevsky's career is how it ended. Do you think he'll like, sit out for six weeks and then come back like Bruce or uh, <laughs> like Tom Brady did? Um, you know, I think in retrospect, Krzyzewski made a mistake by giving himself the farewell tour because I don't think that this loss would have resonated like it did at least immediately had people known it was, had, had they not known it was going to be his last game, had he not announced his retirement. Like, remember Roy Williams just kind of retired, right? Where Krzyzewski had to give himself a lifetime achievement award. He kind of got what he deserved in, in my view. I think one thing, Mark, that plays into that is the transfer portal and the one-and-dones that Duke is able to get. I don't think he wanted to spoil the reputation for the remaining coaches that are left behind by kind of concealing that he was planning on retiring to get those kids. You know what I mean? I disagree. I think he wanted to give himself a nonstop year-long pat on the back. Oh, I think it was both. I think both no, statements. I think it was primarily that. <laughs> I don't think Mike Shashevsky is the kind of guy who cares at all what happens to Duke after he leaves. In this... fact, I think he would prefer that, prefer they stink. <laughs> so you know, it was him all along. I got to ask you this before you go because I know we've both been watching this. I've been playing catch up a little bit. I had no idea Jerry Tarkanian was almost part of a mob hit to get the LA Lakers job back in 1981. Did you know anything about that? Seemed to be dramatized, didn't it? <laughs> A little bit, but I read about it, and I guess the guy did die. He was killed. It was believed to be a mob hit, but the connection to the Lakers in winning time was a little bit fluffed up, yeah. Especially when the widow slapped Jerry Buss. Oh, I, oh see, now, I didn't see episode four yet. Is that in episode four? I forget, Tim. Yeah, episode three. The last thing I saw was his dead body in the car, and the, and the wife just found out about it. Well... Again, Tim, I, I, I suppose I've spoiled it for you, but that's yeah, that's right. what happens. <laughs> have, you, have you seen Larry Bird yet? Has he made his appearance yet or no? Are we still Not, not yet, no, no. It, it was very reminiscent, Tim, when you see the widow slap Jerry Buss. Uh-huh. It reminds me of when the uh, the grieving mother slapped the sheriff in Jaws. Exactly. And it turned out to be the wrong shark because they did cut him open, and all that came out was a license plate. <laughs> the tiger shark. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> there, there you go. Mark Madden, make sure you listen to him Monday through Friday, 105.9 The X. You can read him at Trib Live. As always, a Madden Monday brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to betrivers.com.